Oh, it's great to have you folks up here, and you know, someday uh, they're going to get right with God and, and move to New England somewhere. <laughs> anyway, and I, I met uh, Miss, Miss Cecilia. I just met her before coming in the door there. I'm glad to have you and your family with us here today as well. Glad to have you there. And we only have two more weeks with you. Two more weeks. We did, we're, we're just going to write to uh, <clears throat> Jason and have him arrested at the Mason-Dixon line. He can't come up here. <laughs> anyway, let's talk, turn back to the book of Matthew. Book of Matthew. And the title of the message is, When Up is Down and Down is Up. And no, we're not preaching from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20, 21, 22. Uh, we could have, because it's about the same, but we're dealing with a, a little bit of a different subject. And our key verse this morning, where it says, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself uh, shall be exalted. What we find in Matthew chapter 23 is a stern rebuke of the majority of the religious leadership uh, by the Messiah himself. Those who should have known did not know. I believe those who could have didn't take the time. And so much of their attitude wasn't something new as there were several periods of time in the nation in Israel's history in which the haughtiness of those who were supposed to be God's ministers to his people. Now this generation of religious leaders in our text had become a generation practicing pride, worldliness, along with tyranny under the cloak and pretense of religion. And here in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus reveals their true colors. Now, I don't know how much they had fooled the people, but it seems like they had fooled a, mass, a vast majority of them. But the Lord is about to expose their heart, which is uh, quite disconcerting to them, but it needed to be done. Folks, anyone can paint themselves outwardly to be what they want others to perceive them to be. A form of Jekyll and Hyde, if you will. And we note that in verse 3, this is not a contradiction of the message that Jesus has in mind here, but rather a reminder that there is that which is truth and is right that we are to do, and there is that which is contrary that is not true, and we are to reject it. Now, the law of Moses in and of itself was and is good. There was nothing wrong with the law of Moses. The problem with the law of Moses was that the fallen nature of man was not capable of keeping the law that God had given to Moses to write down for the people. But now in, in Christ, we have a revived spirit, and we're capable of doing the things that we could not do when we were not saved. So never diss the law of Moses and never diss the Old Testament. They have their rightful place, as someone has once said, that the New Testament is enfolded in the Old and the Old is unfolded in the New. And so if one continues to read the whole of chapter 23, Jesus exposes their hypocrisy, their pridefulness, their vanity, to name a few things. Now, Proverbs also warns us in Proverbs 16 and verse 18, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before fall. The truth be told that while we should take pride in our work, meaning that a job worth doing is a job worthy of giving our very best to the job in a way that would honor and that would please God. Amen? But as redeemed of the Lord, we realize that ultimately, He is the one who enables us to not just do our best, but 
even better than our best and to do it for his glory. We should be the best employees. We should be the best spouses. We should have the best marriages. We should have the best home life. Amen? And so God enables us to realize so much as his children. And so God always knows what we need and when we need it in order to accomplish the plans he has for us. And that is one of the things that, listen, if you have the privilege and the blessing of being able to lead someone to the Lord, they come to a saving faith in the person of Christ. It's important that you remind them there and on the spot that, you know what, now you need to understand that God has plans for your life. Now, you may or they may have had their own plans and God may want them to continue those plans, but now there is also a spiritual dimension to those plans. And a spiritual dimension will guide and will direct whatever plans you've had and God may want to change those plans. I had no idea that one day I'd be a preacher. I had no idea that one day I'd go to college. In high school, I was not college material. I did what I needed to do to get by. And after getting out of the United States Air Force and realizing that with a wife, with a family, I better wake up and I better stretch. And God was able to accomplish it. But God had plans for me, and I still tried my own plans. I went to Trenton Technical Institute, computer operations and programming. Didn't work out that well. After about six years of being unhappy, even in that job, God said, it's time for you to just surrender. And so the wife and I, we surrendered. I went to Bible college. And to make a long story short, here we are. <laughs> 40, almost 45 years later. But God had to work with me to make his plans known to me. And sometimes he has to do that in your life as well. It isn't something like, uh, how many of you remember Groucho Marx? Anybody remember him? All right, I know how old some of you people are now. <laughs> But say the secret word, and you know, this bird would come down and you get a hundred bucks. Or 50, I guess maybe back in that day, a hundred dollars was a lot of money uh, when it came right down to it. But you know, a person gets saved, and, and, and it's, there's not going to be this come down here and said, okay, this is what I want for your life. Sometimes it takes a little while. Sometimes people know right away. Sometimes it takes a little while for us to grow in that grace. But we need to understand that God has plans for us. Amen? God has a planned life for us to live. And a lot of that plan is germane to all of us. It's similar to all of us. Uh, God doesn't want just me to study and meditate in the Word of God. God wants you to study and meditate in the Word of God too. Amen? God doesn't want just me to herald the Word of God. He wants you to herald it. That is to share the gospel wherever. God wants us to, to live and to, and, to, and to love with a godly love and to uh, give of our time and to give of our uh, parts of our lives for service uh, unto the Lord. And so uh, some of the things that I do are some of the things that God expects you to do as well. Amen? So, Father, we pray that you guide and direct. If you look for the message this morning, uh, when up is down and down is up. And, and, Lord, this thing called pride is a terrible thing. Pridefulness is very, is very destructive. And pray that, Lord, you guide and direct and meet the needs of this hour. So, Lord, whether it's to salvation or to rededication, and, Father, whether it's to our folk at home who, who are watching or those who will some, somewhere at some point download uh, the, the DVD or the CD that... Lord, again, the power is in your word. It's not in the device. It's not in the person, but it's in your 
word. So, Father, we pray today that your word will have, have true uh, course into our, into our lives to change us and to challenge us. And so we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. So really just two, two basic points. They're not short points, but they're just basic points there and so on. But uh, the first one is identifying pridefulness. Uh, sometimes we see pridefulness, and it's, I mean, it's like it's in your face. And to be honest with you, sometimes it's not very, very, very pretty. It can be quite ugly at times. But pride is not simply an attitude. Pridefulness is also a choice that we make. And so is humility. I can conduct myself in a very humble, uh, very fashion in my life to realize that I am what I am by the grace of God. I am who I am, but by the grace of God. Not because my mom wanted me to do this, my mom wanted me to do that. But as redeemed of the Lord, we tend to take the credit and the glory for the things that without him we would never do or do as well as he enables us to do. So when we finally realize that God has a plan for every believer, then we need to come to the realization that staying in his plan and doing it is is his way, doing it his way rather, requires us to humble ourselves to the executing of his plans. Not offering up our plans to him, but allowing him to give us his plans for us. His way, not our ways. Now, God may be able to use what you've gone to school for, what you've desired to do, and God may be able to use that because we need, listen, we need uh, Bible-believing Christians as lawyers and as doctors and uh, uh, as police officers and firemen and you name it. All that. We need, God wants godly people in those places. That becomes your world. That becomes your ministry. In fact... Jesus is very point blank in John chapter 15. If we can turn to John chapter 15 for just a moment. In the gospel of John chapter 15 and verse 5. Uh, he says, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do what? You can do nothing. Oh yeah, you can build skyscrapers. You can build bridges. You can build homes. You can do wonderful surgery. But wouldn't you rather do it with the Lord? in a way that would be a real blessing. You know, isn't it comforting if a doctor said, listen, do you mind if I pray before I do this surgery? By all means, you know, pray your heart out, buddy. Pray your heart out. I'd just soon have you right with the Lord and uh, operating on me than not, if you would. But not very many of them do that. So you have to have your own prayer. Or the pastor shows up before the surgery or the evening before the surgery and we have our prayer that God will guide and direct the doctors and so on uh, before the surgery takes place. But when he says, I am the vine, he says, ye are the branches. In other words, uh, what good are, 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 the, are the great branches where the, the bunches of the grapes grow if it doesn't have a vine? Well, first of all, there's no nourishment getting there. There's no water getting there. There's no nutrients that the, that the, uh, the, the uh, grapes need in order to be able to grow and, and, and to uh, gather their taste. And so... The, the, the vines are nothing without the branch. And we have to realize that we're nothing without Christ. Oh, you may be a somebody. I, every once in a while I get an email, they would like me to join the, the, the who's who, which is just a gimmick for getting 15 or 25 bucks out of you because who cares who I am other than the folks who we love and love, and love in return as well. But the truth of the matter is um, um, that he says, that we need to abide in him. You cannot decide all of a sudden to say, I'm going to separate myself from the vine. You cannot do that and live a successful Christian life. You cannot do that and expect to give a good accounting before the Lord because we all will, according to Romans chapter 12, that we all stand before God and give an account of ourselves. 
And so pride leads us to do what, uh, leads us to, to do what we, I can't even read my writing here today. Pride leads us to do what he wants us, what it wants us to do. Uh, as we will, rather than abiding in Christ. Now, abiding in Christ is doing his will. Pride says, I'm going to do my thing, and I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to do it my time. And God doesn't matter. The Bible doesn't matter. Prayer doesn't matter. Well, as a Christian, we realize those are very important aspects of the Christian life. And so, in the case of the religious leaders of whom Christ is addressing, or should I say exposing, these are the highly educated in the law of Moses. They study it. They have lawyers. They have scribes. They have uh, Pharisees and they have Sadducees. Boy, they had a lot of religious leaders that were teachers, as supposed to be teachers of the law of Moses, if you will. And it isn't that they didn't, they didn't do that because you see in, in Matthew chapter 23 where the Lord told them that, uh, that uh, you can do as they say but not do as they do. Because they were, in essence, teaching the law of Moses. They just weren't practicing it themselves. We've often heard it banded around here that, that, uh, that we're not, a, politicians especially saying, we're not above the law, and yet they turn around and they break the law, or they do other than the law, we would say along the way. Now, the truth of the matter is, as a pastor, I'm not above the, I'm not above the Bible. I have got to submit myself the same way you submit yourselves. I must learn and glean from the Word of God the same way that you must learn and glean from the Word of God. I must put into practice the same things that I read in the Bible, the same things that you read in the Bible. And God expects me to be an example of it. So we don't have two standards here at Calvary. We work together. We serve together. We serve the Lord our God. Now, when you look at the highly educated men in the law of Moses and are supposed to not only teach and explain the law, but they are supposed to be examples by making application of the principles of the law to themselves. And they were not doing that. In fact, a little bit later on, he likens them to what is sepulchers. Looking pretty good on the outside, not so good on the inside. And so James expresses this in his epistle. The same expectation of the redeemed in Christ as Paul writes to Timothy. He says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. Now I wish I could go back as a parent and do things differently. Some things I would never change, some things I would change. And hopefully it would have a, a bigger and a better impact on my children so that it might have a bigger and a better impact on our grandchildren. I certainly want to have as, as strong an impact on my grandchildren as, as, I, as my children that do as parents. Now we've got great-grandchildren coming along there, and we're excited about that, and we're thankful that they're being raised in, in Christian homes and that they'll have the same impact. But we have to be examples. I am to be an example to my wife of what a godly man is supposed to be. My daughters need to see what a godly man is supposed to be. She's supposed to be a godly wife and show me what the Bible says is, is, is a godly wife. And my daughters ought to see that as well as my sons. See, we make good decisions when we have solid biblical examples before us. So you can argue if somebody says one thing and yet they do another. What do we call them? We call them hypocrites. But pride leads us down a road 
that is a poor example of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the work that the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God is doing in our lives should be that which is manifesting itself outwardly for the lost to see. So it's not only just about our loved ones, because we may have unsaved spouses, we may have unsaved children, or vice versa. But the reality is that wherever we work, wherever we go, that we need to be an example of the believers. Now, I'm not saying we need to wave a Bible around and throw that in everybody's face. But there are people who know us, and they observe us, and they watch us. And when we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place, and we handle it in a very biblical, confident fashion, they wonder, they marvel. How could you have held yourself together? And you can have an opportunity to share with them that Jesus Christ makes all the difference. And he makes all the difference in the world. And so that is the work that the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God is doing in our lives to let people see what he can do if they will also receive him and surrender. You know, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and, and verse 30, John the Baptist said that Jesus Christ must increase, but he must decrease. He was simply saying, there needs to be, le- le- uh, get it out. There needs to be less of self and more of him. Our problem is that we have less of him and more self. And that's pridefulness. That's pride. That's self-centeredness, if you will. And so there needs to be less of me and more of Christ. That is the work and the process of progressive sanctification that the Lord is doing in our lives through the Word and through the Holy Spirit of God is to make me more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ so that people look at me, they're actually getting a glimpse of Christ, the work he's doing within me. And, and, and if I'm looking at the wrong things, I'm entertaining the wrong things, and I'm being involved in the wrong things along the way there, that's not a very good image. Especially if someone turns around and says, hey, I thought you were a Christian. Why, why, why are you talking like that? And why are you acting? And why are you reacting that way? Well, Jesus reveals that, that though the religious leaders know the law of Moses, the knowledge has had very little, if any, life-changing quality inwardly in their lives. Look what he says in Matthew 23 and verse 27 and 28. He says there in 27, he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. And he says, Hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men but inward or within rather ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity to present yourself as one thing and be something altogether inside makes you a hypocrite now I don't know about you but I don't like being called a hypocrite so I guess I best not be one (laughs) amen because it means that someone has seen something in you that has caused them to be able to say that hey this does not line up with what I perceive this to be and so we don't want to be hypocrites out there. Tell people that I am a Christian and turn around and act very worldly and act very carnally. Now, 2 Timothy 2.15 is not merely about filling our heads with a great deal of biblical information. Remember we said that in science school, that we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, but what? Rightly dividing the word of truth. So the idea is so that I can walk around and I can quote this verse and quote that verse and I can, I can teach you this and I can teach you that and fill myself with a whole bunch of information, a whole bunch of knowledge upstairs. 
but so that it can work inwardly, so that the transformation takes place in my heart. That's the purpose of gaining and gleaning from the Word of God. Not so I can be a show-it or a know-it-all to those around me, but so that they can see and I can experience and sense the work that God's doing in my life, changing me from what I once was into what it is that he wants me to be. And so, that is discovering under the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God how God would have us to live and to navigate through a fallen world with a God-honoring, God-pleasing, and God-glorifying demeanor. That's what God is looking for. That's what the world needs to see. God is only glorified when our lives reflect the work he is doing in and through our lives and his plans and purposes are being realized in us. That's when he is glorified. Not just because you say a few words here and say a few words there. Or because you come once on a Sunday, you sing a few songs, go home and go back out into the world. He's not glorified with that kind of life. He's glorified then when what we do in our prayer closets and what we do in church, we also do in our community. Now, I don't sing out in the community. Uh, I don't want to scare anybody. I don't want anybody to think I need to have a white jacket on or something like that and put me away in the sign of Salem. But I can shine. I can, I can have a sparkle in my eyes. I can have a spring in my step. And I don't have to look like I was just weaned on the pickles. I can smile. I can let people know that, hey, it's raining outside. It's pouring. But in here, it's a zippity-doo-dah day. Amen. I got a bluebird on my shoulder. Oh, Christians don't really look like they're enjoying their, their relationship with the Lord. So many of them, you wouldn't even know they were Christians. Going down the people look at you and say, what are you smiling about? And say, because God has given me a song in my heart. Amen. Amen. And so, in Ephesians chapter 1, we can just turn over there real quick. In Ephesians chapter 1, looking at verses 11 and 12. And it says here, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Your life, my life, should be a praise unto God. And if we are allowing the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to work in our lives, and we live out Bible principles, and we live out Bible truths, you say, you've got to ruin my life, preacher. Listen, there is no happier place to be than in the center of God's will for your life. There is no other place to be as content as content can be other than being within the will of God's life for your life. Amen. And so that we should be to the praise of his glory, the work that he's doing. He wants the world to see. And it says, who first trusted in Christ. And so praise of his glory is not meant to be only an end result that someday when we get into heaven, we're we're going to get our angel wings. Not. Humans don't get angel wings when we go to heaven. I have no idea where that foolishness came about, historically speaking. But I want that glorified body God's promised me. Amen? Praise of his glory, not an end result. 
Rather, it is to be an ongoing daily result of our walk with the Lord our God. When you have your time with God in the morning, you have your time of prayer with the Lord in the morning, you're setting the tone for the day. You're going to go out there and say, Lord, use me today to let others see what you're capable of. Because you know what? Sometimes you know that you work around some miserable people, don't you? I mean, some of the people you work around, they can be miserable. They can be quite cantankerous. But others out there, I mean, they're hurting. They're hurting because of maybe a marriage that they're in. Or they're hurting because of any number of things. Maybe it's finances or it's a personal health issue, but they're hurting. And they need to know that that isn't the life they have to live. That if they would receive Christ, who has made a difference in your life, could make a difference in their life. You may have the privilege of being able to lead them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're going to groan and mumble and complain and all those kind of things, just like they do, where do they get any hope from? This requires an absolute surrender of our lives, a choosing to humble ourselves to his will for the purpose which we have or he has saved us as an individual. Then secondly, injuriousness of pride. I had to make it rhyme with the first one. The injury we realize if we are a prideful individual. Now, it takes great character. It takes great strength to humble oneself, more so than it does to pursue pride. Anybody can be arrogant. Amen? Anybody. They can become arrogant about maybe they have a natural talent. Maybe it's athletic. They, they just, sports come natural and they rise up, cream of the crop, and they're making their millions of dollars. It may be that you're great with music, or you're great with mathematics, or you're great with sciences and all these other kind of things. Maybe you're good with your hands and you can build things and make things and shape things that others just sit there and, oh. Maybe it's an artistic ability that you might possess. And we can become very prideful of those things which God has allotted to us. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was a character from history. King Nebuchadnezzar was warned plainly by Daniel about pride taking over his life. And it was. I mean, he, he ruled the entire known world around the Mediterranean Sea, all throughout Asia Minor, and even into North Africa. He, he ruled all that. He, he, if he looked at you cross-eyed, you were done. And the men who served him thought nothing about it. You were done, you were gone. And yet, God brought Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego into favor with the king. And the reason he did that is because Daniel humbled himself before God and Nebuchadnezzar was able to see that there was something unique and special about Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego that he did not see in any of the other wise men around him. And he even admits that. He said that he was fairer and wiser, I think, than all the other ones combined. Well, Perhaps that is one of the sadder elements of pride. It rules over and it ruins one's life in the end. And Daniel, being the man of God that he was, was concerned that Nebuchadnezzar would become a child of God. So if we turn back in the Old Testament to Daniel, right after the book of Ezekiel, So in Daniel chapter 4, 
Looking at uh, verses 19 through 27, we'll, we'll kind of break that down. We see that in verses 19 through 27 that Daniel uh, is God's warning through Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar about his pridefulness. God is the one who advanced. God is the one who raised up Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember from your history, or if you didn't, you're going to learn it today, and that was that Israel had split under the, uh, the uh, son of... Um, the man with many wives, Solomon, <laughs> under Solomon, and that uh, his son Rehoboam uh, did not hearken to the counsel of the wise men, but to the counsel of his young men. Listen, you may not like the counsel of your mature parents or others around you, but they're going to give you the best interest, the best possible advice that you can, that you can have because they're interested in you. Sometimes your peers, the only reason you ask them is because they think like you do. So if you want a different opinion, check in with those who you know. Have at least a degree of spiritual maturity, amen, uh, along the way. But anyway, uh, so uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, they split. So you get ten tribes split to the north and two tribes to the south, which was, uh, uh, which was Judah and Benjamin. And, and, of course, they just went down the tubes. I mean, both nations were going down the tubes. The ten tribes of the north uh, were, were becoming less respectful and, and less obedient to God in a state of rebellion, very carnal, very worldly, very much involved in idolatry. And God raised up Sennacherib of the Syrians and brought them down, and they carried off the northern ten tribes into captivity. Well, you would have said, to, you would have at least thought that perhaps maybe Judah and Benjamin would have said, uh-oh, we better not go down that same road. But for the next hundred years, they went down that road. In the meantime, God is raising up Nebuchadnezzar. And God even says he is raising up Nebuchadnezzar. And he is strengthening Nebuchadnezzar so that Nebuchadnezzar is going to become ruler. He's going to, he's going to take off the, the, uh, the remaining two tribes and take them into captivity. But he also conquers all those other areas around the Mediterranean Sea and he rules over all of them. So Daniel has warned him in Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 through 33, the warning rejected by the king and the result of the king's pride. And look what he says here, beginning in verse 28. Let's start in chapter 5. Sorry, excuse me, chapter 4. In chapter 4, look at verse 28. I'm getting it. Um, all this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. Now everything that, da that Daniel said has come upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he, Nebuchadnezzar, walked in the palace of the king, kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Boy, sounds like Satan got a hold of his heart, didn't it? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. His pride was his downfall. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. The next verse. But I want you to see, it took seven years, seven years 
to live like an animal, feeding on grass under the heat and the cold, under the wet and the dry. I, I would hope that if I got prideful, it wouldn't take me seven years being miserable with myself to get right with God. Or at least to heed the warnings of God. But you know, pride's a terrible thing. Hell is filling up with men and women of pride. Oh, I'm not going to take that God. I'm not going to accept it. I don't like a God like that. My God's a loving God, and he would never send anybody to a place called hell. Then you don't need a God. I mean, a God, if he's not going to send the, those who reject him and choose to live their life independent of God, why do they need a God? But we know better. We know that there are two places called heaven and hell, and that heaven is the home of the redeemed of the Lord. But he says here, beginning in... Uh, Oh, And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. You get the point that he lost seven years of his life, that he could have been having a relationship with God, and he was fighting it seven years. He fought against God. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to surrender. I'm not going to yield. Finally, he broke. You see, God had taken him from that lofty position of pride and he brought him low. And now, because he lifted and he recognized the Creator as the one who enabled him to accomplish the things he had accomplished. And he says, and, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me. He's lifting him back up. He's taken him from the place where pride led him to now the place where humility and humbleness is going to raise him up. He said, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excel, excellent majesty was added unto me. Because he had a different heart. He now had a, had, a, had a different rulership. He ruled with a different heart. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 37, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride he is able to what? To a base. To a base. Pride was at the very heart of the first rebellion against God. When Satan rebelled against God it was because of the pride. And between verses 12 and 15 of Isaiah 14 Satan used the word I five times. It took a while for him to realize how destructive pride can be. Lucifer led a third of the innumerable host of angels in his rebellion against God. I don't understand that. I don't get that. Then how could you be in the presence of God and lead a rebellion and others saying that somehow they were greater than their creator and that they could somehow overrule and reign on his throne? But you know, if we're not careful, that's what pride leads us to do. 
That's the experience of pride. It leads us into foolish decisions. So from our opening text, we can, we can learn how pride was not just the choice of the, rebe- of the religious leaders. It not only led to spiritual corruption, it also left Israel without real spiritual leadership. You see, pride does not keep good company. In fact, if you look at Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23, it lists a number of things in there. I think this will be the last scripture we look up here. But in Mark, I want you to see the company that pride keeps in Mark chapter 7. Verse 20. And it says... uh, uh, and Jesus said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Doesn't keep very good company, does it? So God has just the weapon. From within his army. Remember from Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 25. That God has an army. We can step into the army of the word of God. And into our prayer closets. And to be alone with God. And in that army. God will show us the answer. To pride. Is humbleness. Humbleness. James chapter 4 and verse 6. God makes a promise to those who live humble lives. God says humble yourselves before God. And he will what? He will draw close to you. In James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, it gives us the process by which God works in the lives of those who walk humbly before the Lord our our God. In James chapter 4 and verse 10, it is the up. If we will humble ourselves before God, not coming into the presence of God with a haughty spirit and basically give God an idea, boy, aren't you glad you saved me? Aren't you glad you brought me into the family of God? I can't imagine the body of God being anything worthwhile if it wasn't if I wasn't a part of it. That's not exactly how you come into the presence of God. You come with humble hearts, realizing, but for the grace of God, you would be on your way to a Christless eternity in a place called hell. And you realize that you could not do that of yourself because for by grace are you saved through faith of that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God did for me what I could not do. Jesus accomplished on the cross what I could not accomplish. And all God asked me to do was to come by faith. And then as a child of God is to humble myself. To not try to lead God, but to allow God to lead me. And what a difference it is in your life. When I was leading God, I was getting absolutely nowhere. But when I finally settled in and I settled down and I said, Lord, I'm tired of trying to lead myself. It's like hitting my head against a brick wall. You know what God's answer was? He said, humble. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. And at First Baptist Church, Bristol, Pennsylvania, the wife and I went forward during the morning service. We humbled ourselves. God, whatever you want, whatever you want to do, we're ready. And God's not done with me yet. I'm still, I'm still a work in progress, if you would, along the way. But you know, the world believes that their pride is exalting when it is, in essence, their downfall. The world believes to be humble is weakness and lowly. Before God, it is the way to be lifted up. It's our choice. God hates pride, but he loves humility. 
In pride, we take all the glory. In humbleness, God is glorified, and he rewards the humble. Humbleness is the weapon of choice in God's army against pridefulness. Humbleness is a choice that grows out of spiritual maturity and our love for the Lord. When you really realize how great he is. That's why John the Baptist said, I must decrease, but he must increase. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. Gather around your throne of grace. Lord, we just thank you for the infallible word of God that you put before us so that, Lord, we can preach and, Lord, we can have all confidence that there is nothing missing, that there is nothing added, that we have exactly what you want us to have for this day and age. And, Lord, multiple times, especially in the Old Testament, you, you address this issue of pride. And, Lord, we as individuals need to come to that place in our lives where we realize that to reject the Word of God is usually because there's an element of pride involved. But, Lord, to accept the Word of God, it means that we are coming humbly. That we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the solutions. And, Lord, we don't always know what it is that you want. But, Lord, when we come and humble ourselves through your word, through prayer. Lord, you reveal to us your, your principles and your precepts, the things that you want to take place in our lives. Lord, we thank you for such a personal interest and care in those that you have redeemed and saved. Lord, it may be that there is one or more today who has been wrestling with this issue of pride. Lord, may this be the day that they realize it's, it's time to get rid of it. There's, there's nothing good about it. It doesn't keep good company, and it doesn't bring good results. But Lord, if we would just humble ourselves and surrender, then Lord, you can lead, you can direct, you can guide. You can work and bring about marvelous changes in our lives that will be a real blessing to not just ourselves, but to those around us. Lord, it may be that there is one who has been putting off getting saved because of pridefulness. Lord, may the scales be removed and the dullness of the hearing that they might see and hear what it is that they need to do to humble themselves and to come to you and to receive you as their personal Lord and Savior. Lord, you have written for us in the book of Romans, chapter 10 and verse 13. For whosoever is a call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, Lord, you know the nature and the need of each and every heart here and at home. Eyes about, uh, heads about and eyes are closed as I hand quietly plays on the piano and I'd ask you today first of all as a child of God is there an element of pride that's keeping you from serving keeping you from walking with the Lord or at least keeping God from being able to work marvelously and wonderful in your life and you know it doesn't belong there and you'd say Lord I need to get rid of this pridefulness Lord, I need to be more humble. Lord, I need to learn the blessings of being a humble believer, a humble child of God today. Preacher, would you pray for me in closing? I want the world to see what God's doing in and through my life. And the only way they can see that is when we are humble before the Lord. To realize that he's going to do a work in us that no one else could do. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can't make enough New Year's resolutions to accomplish what only God can accomplish in your life. Preacher, pray for me in closing. Yes. Hands here and hands there. For you folks at home, it's the same. It's the same. But it may be this morning you say, you know, preacher, I don't even know if I got a home in heaven. 
I sure hope I do. Well, you know, the Bible doesn't just give us a hope so. The Bible gives us a no so. We can know beyond any shadow of a doubt. If we were to breathe our last breath, our heart was to beat its last beat that we know that when we, when we die that we've got a home in heaven. And it really is just a simple matter of coming to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And you say, preacher, pray for me in closing as you pray for these others. That my eyes would be open and my ears would be able to receive my heart as well. This truth that I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've got a home in heaven should I die. Oh, Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together. We're looking forward to the meal after this service today. We're looking forward to the afternoon when Brother Steve brings the afternoon message. Father, we pray that our conversation will be pleasing. We pray that for those who raise their hands today, that, Lord, indeed, there will be that spirit of humility. Lord, not to be humiliated, but, Lord, a, a spirit of humility. One that does not put ourselves above others. Or that puts ourselves above the Lord Jesus Christ or the work of the Holy Spirit or even above the Word of God. But in humbleness, we surrender to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We surrender to the Word of God. And we'll give you the praise, we'll give you the honor, and we'll give you the glory for the work you're about to do in our lives. Father, dismiss us now, we pray, with thy blessings in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, I'm not sure we got downstairs, but.